Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com national content editor. We are going to talk a little bit about the free agents and the qualifying offers before we are joined by Adam Fisher, who spent 15 years working in the Mets front office, several of those coming under Sandy Alderson. He's going to give us a lot of insight about how front offices approach the season, the offseason, and how specifically the Mets might function with Sandy Alderson back in the fold. But first, Matt, free agency is here. And I feel like this is an issue I have every single year. You know, we're going to talk a lot probably about how this is going to be a slow winter for free agency because of COVID, because of all of it. We don't know what 2021 is going to look like, and that's fine. But I can already hear people sort of complaining that free agency has been open for like a week and there's no movement and we won't hear anything for a couple of weeks. And they compare it to the NBA where, you know, as soon as free agency opens at 12.01 midnight, there's 20 teams on the doorstep of the best power forward. And baseball has never, ever been like that. Has it like ever? And I don't really think I want it to be like that. I don't want this all to be wrapped up today. I like thinking about this, you know, for a couple of weeks or two months or so. Totally. Not to mention the fact that like it's it's a different system, right? They have like they have a salary cap and max contract. So it's like if you're a superstar, it's like I can get it, you know, you know, there are certain types of max contracts you can get, whether it's like because the the team that you're on can usually pay you a little more. So it's like I know exactly what I can get. There's no real like negotiations if like you're a superstar and then it all kind of goes down from there. So it's a different sport. And the other thing that's in addition to that uh, is happening this offseason that affects um, what the, the pace also applies to the Mets. And that's um, a new owner, Steve Cohen, coming in because I think a lot of the free agents are going to want Steve Cohen to get his feet under him and get settled because there's a good chance that the Mets could be with this new owner, could be among the big bidders for free agents. That's something we'll talk to, to Adam Fisher about. But I think that changes everything. So I think that's actually going to add another layer of like slowing things out. Because if you are, for example, JT Realmuto, who people think is going to be a big Mets target, the the the, the catcher, you you want to you you want to make sure the Mets if they're going to be into it. Like if, even if you don't want to go there, you want them in to drive out the bidding, right? Yeah, for sure. We are recording on Thursday afternoon, and we expect that Cohen will be approved as the Mets owner officially. It's Friday. Uh, I know it's been a long week, but it's, it's Friday. It's Friday. God. Has it really? Okay, well, we expect Steve Cohen's going to get approved as Mets owner um, pretty much any minute now. I was looking at the lists of free agents, and I was really, you know, I think everybody agrees there's like a big four at the top. You know, Real Muto, as you said, George Springer, Trevor Bauer, and DJ LeMahieu, right? I think are kind of the four that are the, the biggest separation. But I was really interested when I kind of looked at this, you know, positional breakdown, um, like the free agency list this year, but kind of deep in catchers. You know, if you don't get Real Muto, you can, James McCann is pretty good. Tyler Flowers has had his moments. You know, maybe you want to try to get Yachty away from St. Louis. There's a couple other guys. But I was I was really struck by how incredibly weak the corner infielders are. Like, I'm assuming Justin Turner probably goes back to L.A., right? And then if you look past that, the best first baseman and third baseman are like Carlos Santana, Jed Jerko, Jake Lamb, Todd Frazier, like, you know, usable guys. But other than Turner, I'm not sure there is a single corner infielder I can think of as a a starting caliber player, right? Like, I don't know where some of these teams are going to turn because, you know, if you're going to go to trade, well, Chris Bryan had a terrible year. Uh, Nolan Arenado didn't have a good year and his contract is so complicated. I have a hard time seeing it being moved. Where do you go if you if you want a corner infielder this winter? Well, I think the one the one wrinkle here is DJ LeMahieu because I think some teams might be looking at him as potentially a third baseman. 
In fact, I was looking at MLB trade rumors this morning, and they did their their free agent uh, projections, uh, or I guess project predictions, I should say, and they predicted LeMahieu to the Blue Jays to play third base. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> so, can, can I say that that's like a whole other can of worms? I, I the Blue Jays are perfectly positioned to be aggressive, right? Like they have their young core, they got Hyunjin Ryu, like they are a team on the rise. And yet, I don't know how you convince anybody to sign with a team where you don't know what country they're going to play in next year. I think they are uniquely at a disadvantage this winter because of that. That's that's a fair point. One other point I want to make on LeMahieu is that um, our friend uh, Tom Tango just did. Usually, we he had, does like he, you know he he originally created the Marcel projection system, which is one of the kind of the original um, popular projection systems. And then there have been more advanced versions that have come out since Pakoda, um, Zips, Steamer. But Marcel, you know, it's still it's still um, it still stands up pretty well. And he's done a, a uh, for us, for MOB.com, for free agency, every year he does like a modified version of Marcel that's just based on war, using like your your previous three years of war, wins above replacement, and your age, and basically doing like a very like kind of like for the purposes of projections, back of the envelope projection of free agents to sort of say like, okay, who's the top free agent? And, you know, I was looking at our um, the past years of this recently because, you know, after the 2016 season, when Cespedes seemed to be the top free agent, um, Tom's projections had Justin Turner as the best free agent. And wow, that turned out to be true that Justin Turner <laughs> yes. was the better free agent signing than you want to assess it as. So um, I always look at his projections with a, with a you know, they're, they're often a little counterintuitive. And this year, if you go by projected war over the next three seasons, he has DJ LeMayhew as the best free agent. And it's not even that close um, with George Springer, number two, Ozuna, three. Ozuna and Trevor Bauer three, um, and JT Ramuto down at six. Granted, catchers and war are always a little tricky, so I'll take a little bit with a grain of salt. But I still think people might be underselling how good of a free agent DJ Lemayhew is. Yeah, I just wrote about him by the way that he is like the least shiftable man in baseball. Um, over the last five years, he has two plate appearances ending with a shift, which are three men on one side of the infield, and they're both super flukes. One came this year where he hit a home run off of a uh, position player pitching. And one came like five years ago when Jerry Blevins intentionally walked him, which I feel like doesn't really, you know, fit into the spirit. Um, before we get to Adam, I want to talk about the qualifying offers. And I want to briefly talk about Francisco Lindor, who is reportedly on the trade market. I'm already bored of the Francisco Lindor trade rumors because we went through this all last year. Um, I will say this. I've seen some of the trade proposals bandied around, you know, like, oh, what do we have to give up to get this guy here? Francisco Lindor is an elite player, right? He's one of the best shortstops in baseball. There can be no question about this whatsoever. And yet I think people sort of overrate what one year of any player is worth. Like look at Mookie Betts, right? They got pretty good players. Like Verdugo is good. Wong is good. Downs is good. Like these are, these are decent players, but none of these guys are like top of the world, top five prospects. And also the Dodgers had to take David Price's contract in return, you know, and, and Lindor, like, I don't want to put too much on a shortened season. Wasn't that good this year. It was like a league average player. So I think he's going to get traded and I think people will be stunned by how light the return is. Does that sound right to you? Totally. I mean, that, I mean, we have a, a perfect comp for it in Mookie Betts from just a year ago and Betts was coming off a better year. And so I think it's, it's, um, it's, I think you're, 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 you're 100%, um, Correct. So as for um, qualifying offers. Six six were issued, right? Can we say that four of them are slam dunks? Romito is not going to take his. Springer is not going to take his. Lemayo is not going to take his. Trevor Bauer's agent has already tweeted 
that he will not take his. Um, just to reset the qualifying offer, it's an offer of one year, $18.9 million to return to your current team. If you reject it, then your team that you are leaving gets some compensation uh, in return. Two other guys got it. I was actually a little surprised Michael Brantley didn't get it. I thought maybe he did. Marcus Stroman did. And Kevin Gossman was like the most surprising one. Like he was pretty good last year, but his his career trajectory to that point had not been. I cannot imagine there's a world where Gaussman declines one year and $18.9 million and then tries to go sign in the market. Is that That is like the most obvious he's going to take it or maybe like, you know, sign a two or three year deal. Uh, I think I could ever think of. Stroman is the interesting one. It, there are reports that say he will decline it. He didn't pitch at all this year, right? Like he he chose not to play, which is totally fine and understandable. That's his right. Um, and I feel like he there's maybe the biggest difference of opinion on what kind of pitcher he is as compared to maybe anybody, because I like him, but he's like a middle of the rotation guy for me. You know, he gets ground balls, which is nice. Uh, he's not necessarily durable. He doesn't miss bats at all. I don't I don't feel like that's the guy who, you know, lights up the, uh, the free agency contracts in the same way, like, you know. Bauer is going to, or, or Garrett Cole is going to. Yeah. The one thing working in his favor is that he doesn't have, there's not a lot of great pitching on the market, which might be what sort of the gamble right. that he's make, taking. Is it like, okay, after Trevor Bauer, he's probably the next best starting pitcher and probably not even that close. The uh, pitching market is weak. It, but, I mean, Tanaka, I, I guess, but Mike Minor, you know, I like that on Corey Kluber or see if Charlie Morton wants to leave Florida, which I don't think he does. Exactly. So I think I think that's kind of the mindset there. Um, so I do think, you know, he can get probably, you know, there will be someone who will give him, he won't get 18, I don't think he'll get, you know, the, that average annual value, but I could see him getting, you know, 50 million plus in total. And so if that's, you know, if he wants that and the ability to go pick his location, I could see why he would be, be, um, be swayed. But, you know, I think the Mets would still probably be in on him because they need pitching. And in some ways, like they might have the best of all worlds if he re- rejects because they could probably get him for a lower average annual value. Right. Which is um, exactly why they offered it. I do think they would very much like to have him back for one year. And then if he pitches well, he can reset his value. Not only, you know, in terms of having pitched well, but in terms of you might have a little more certainty about what the world even looks like next year. All right. We are going to talk a little bit more about the Mets. We're going to take a quick break. We are going to bring in our friend Adam Fisher, who worked for the Mets front office for 15 years, and he's going to help educate us a little bit on how a front office approaches a winner at this time of year. You're listening to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We'll be right back. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com 
slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrillo, Matt Myers. And as we head into the offseason, we thought there'd be no more interesting person to talk to than someone who has actually lived what an offseason is like in an MLB front office. So we are joined by our friend Adam Fisher, who for 15 years was part of the New York Mets front office, briefly worked with Atlanta as well, and for about half that time worked directly with Sandy Alderson, who is now coming back reportedly to work with the Mets. So first of all, Adam, welcome. Thanks for coming to hang out with us here. And the very first question I want to ask you is, we are like a week after the the World Series here, and obviously the first decisions that have been made are about qualifying offers. Um, but big, big picture, what are you thinking right now? And when you were in a front office, like how are you approaching this yeah, upcoming uh, offseason? Thanks for having me, Mike and Matt. And you know, it's, it, it was the last time I sat down with you guys. It was a lot of fun, and uh, obviously, very different circumstances we're, we're looking at today. Uh, you know, a strange offseason. Uh, I, I think, in general. You're going to try to operate uh, business as usual as much as possible and try to sort of cut out some of the unknowns. And, you know, that means that starting in September, October, you're doing your off-season planning. You're getting your board ready. You're thinking about what free agents you're going to go after. You're thinking about uh, trade possibilities. Who are your targets? And, you know, we're looking at the GM meetings, uh, via Zoom, of course, in a different experience than the past, but generally on time, I don't know, maybe a week delayed or so, uh, depending on the year. But uh, but the Zoom GM meetings, you know, we'll, we'll, they'll have an idea. They do some arbitration stuff. They'll have, have a, a better idea where maybe the arbitration numbers are. And of course, that's your opportunity, the GM meetings, to sort of just lay the groundwork uh, for potential trades and then also talking to agents I'm really not totally sure how it's going to work as, you know, a non-insider now. Um, it's definitely going to be different, but the, you know, the GM meetings are sort of the first step to getting a sense of where things stand with other teams and free agents and kind of what is realistic when it comes to some of those targets. Now, you mentioned like a, a board. Um what does this, you know, what does this look like? Is it, you know, do you do it by position? Is there like a top 50? Do you put like a, your target like dollar amount and years on it? Like I know when I go into like a fantasy auction in baseball, you know, for my fantasy baseball team, I have like players and I have like, you know, here's about what I would want to spend on them. Is it, is it, is it like that? Uh, it, you know, it, it really varies on the year. And I think different teams do it differently in terms of how you're ranking guys, what you're, I feel like, I feel like your quote unquote board is kind of a metaphor, honestly, Matt. Um, some years, you know, you'll actually have a professional scouting board where you're moving around guys by position. Um, you know, generally it's more of just meeting as a group, as a front office with your pro scouts and you talk about the players and you kind of have a rough list by position of what you like, what you're going to do. You know, you can formalize it if you like, but it's kind of like, okay, these are our targets. We've got, you know, these are our targets. These are our positional targets, what we feel like are our key priorities. And then these are the four or five guys that we like at each position. Uh, your, your general stuff. Okay, how would we pivot? Uh, you know, what are the different kind of categories? You go after this free agent and, you know, spend X amount uh, of your budget, or you go after sort of two, two free agents for the same price. I mean, look, this is basic stuff, but that that's the type of planning that is going on right now. Just discussing your roster and thinking about the different options and possibilities 
uh, that that you are are uh, you're prepared for moving into this off season. You know, one of the 10 million things that are different about this year is that we will not have in-person winter meetings. And uh, Adam, I can't imagine how many hours of your life you spent hanging around hotel lobbies in Dallas and Nashville and, and so yeah, on. Yeah. Um, I, I think people think about the winter meetings like purely in sense of moves happening. And it's not necessarily true. It's also like for job hunters, it's for the minor league meetings and all sorts of stuff. But for the first time, we're not going to have in-person winter meetings. And I'm, I'm curious in your experience, how much work was actually done in person that couldn't be replicated by text message or zoom meeting or, or do the winter meetings no really no longer really serve that purpose anymore? Yeah. I think Mike that they, I would suggest that they don't, they're not necessary. Uh, you know, in that sense, just, just because of all the technology that's out there and all of the things, I mean, we've seen in recent years, the rumors just fly, you know, fly fast and furious. Um, and it's just a different, you can get that, but you can get those rumors, you know, on Twitter when you're sitting here in, you know, New York, um, you don't necessarily have to be there. It's a, it's a, it's a good social exercise, I think for the industry, you know, I mean, we're all seeing what it's like to be isolated. So from that standpoint, I think it's a good, good event just to get people together, um, I th- so it's a double-edged sword. I think COVID shows us that the winter meetings is important as sort of a social event, but I think the way that our society has moved, it's not necessary based on technology and how we conduct ourselves. Now, you mentioned you mentioned uh, trades before, and it's kind of following up my question before about you know free agent board, so to speak. With trade targets, is it in your experience, was it more you'd go into an offseason with, hey, here are players we're interested in trading for, or is it more like, hey, let's call around the industry and kind of get a feel and then let's reconvene and figure out who we might be interested in, in trying to fit for. And is it like, is it the GM, is the GM call all 30 GMs or is it split up where it's like, Hey, I'm going to call everyone has a contact somewhere. So you go call, call your contact and at these five teams, I'll take these five teams. You take those five teams. How does that work? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's exactly how it works. How you, I mean, well, I guess when it comes to the Mets and my brief experience with the Braves, uh, you know, it, it depends on team, but I'll give you the Mets example. You know, it would be broken up generally, at, you know, early on, maybe it's a very high level, just Sandy and John uh, kind of making calls. John Rico, who was the assistant GM at the time, uh, and just feeling teams out. So you're basically, you have your list of trade targets, and it's kind of a combination of guys you have heard might be available or it makes sense they're available. So uh, you're going to, you're going to, you know, inquire on those guys. Yeah, sure. You can inquire on kind of the untouchable guys, but you're not going to, you're not going to bank on any of that. It's just, okay, we've heard this guy might be available. Our scouts have done the work. You know, we're hearing a little bit of that in the media. Okay, let's break it up. And, you know, Sandy will call 15 teams. John will call 15 teams. Then, you know, maybe as they follow up, maybe they'll bring in someone like JP, uh, you know, someone like myself. Uh, whatever, at the winter meetings, we break, you know, you have your scouts out there talking to people, trying to figure things out. Uh, I mean, I, I, a great anecdote um, that I have from the winter meetings and to just to show you how these things can happen so quickly. And I believe I've, I've mentioned this anecdote in, in the media before, but it was um, when we were acquiring Neil Walker from the Pirates, uh, when we acquired him for Jonathan Neese, I can tell you that we legitimately weren't sure Neil Walker was available until the day we traded for him. Um, 
and it was a lot of rumors and the pirates were kind of, you know, they, they, he was, I guess you could say there was, he was available in the sense they were willing to talk about him, but was he available in the sense that, you know, they were actually willing to trade him. They just called us and were like, we like Nice. You want to do Nice for Walker? That's all that happened. You know, it's funny as we are talking right now, um, Breaking news is happening. Everyone has tweeted that Steve Cohen is now officially the owner of the Mets. The sale is closed. Steve Cohen himself has tweeted it uh, as we are speaking here. So I guess that ends the rumors. That was clearly the race we were waiting to hear about today was that Steve Cohen would be at the Mets. And so now that Sandy Alderson is back after uh, an absence, um, you know him pretty well. Like, what did you learn working with Alderson and why should Mets fans be kind of excited that not just there's a new owner, but also that Alderson is back in the fold here? Yeah. You know, I think it's tough because New York is just such a challenging media market. And, you know, Sandy came into a rebuilding situation and uh, he, he took the team to the world series. Obviously I'm biased. I was a member of that front office, but you're talking about someone here who, you know, was, I guess you'd call the godfather of Moneyball, uh, very well-respected, executive who's a borderline hall of famer uh you could you know you can make the argument that he's a hall of famer uh but when you put him through the new york grinder uh it didn't end particularly well and you know we 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 were able to make the playoffs two years in a row but 2017 my final season with the mets didn't go according to plan and obviously 2018 was was pretty pretty rough as well Uh, And, you know, which which culminated in Sandy leaving and getting sick. And, you know, Mets fans, I think, have, um, I would say, generally more positive than negative, but somewhat mixed feelings, I guess I'd say about Sandy, just based on, you know, the nature of his tenure. And I don't think that's fair. I mean, he's a tremendous executive, uh, just really uh, process oriented and fun to work for. And look, he has his philosophies, but. He's going to shape some of that based on the situation. And, you know, he had specific budgetary constraints in the past. Now, with that announcement that you just mentioned, Mike, he's going to have more money to spend. And, you know, that's going to allow him to do some different things. I mean, what's crazy to think now in the year 2020, when Sandy was the GM of the A's in the late 80s, they, I believe, had the highest payroll in baseball. That, that's so correct. That's that's strange in a number of ways, of course, because it's the A's. But at that time, you know, the revenue distribution was different and they were the best team in baseball. You had Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco and Dave Stewart. So Sandy spent money in the past. Uh, it's really what does the team need? And, you know, he he's versatile. He He's very process oriented, but he's going to be versatile in how he goes about it. OK, so a lot of the speculation is that the Mets are going to go after JT Realmuto. They don't have a catcher. Our, the best free agent on the market is arguably Realmuto, who is a catcher, maybe the best catcher in the game. Is that the kind of player you could see Sandy going after? Or do you think he's more likely to say, you know what, catchers are not a great bet. Maybe I'm going to go after George Springer because I need a righty bat in the outfield. Like, what, What's your if what's your sense of where do you think this this might be headed? And what, what, what do you think Mets fans should expect? Yeah, I mean, I think that – I don't think he he needs to necessarily be picky. So like, you know, for me, I think that Real Muto, he's frowned on second generation contracts, as I said. What what is that? What does second generation contract mean? Sorry, second generation meaning meaning a a player is in their late 20s. So they've signed an extension or, you know, they're they're, they're heading into free. It's basically 
long-term free agent contracts with players who are entering a possibility of a decline phase, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, and Real Muto certainly fits that. But I think most teams, when they, when they sign these types of contracts, understand that there's going to be some pain on the back end. And, you know, with the Mets, that happened with us, with Santana, uh, you know, certainly it happened with Cespedes. It ended extremely badly. Um, but Sandy has some leeway here uh, to, to make those types of moves and not have, them, not have them hurt as much as they would in the past. He doesn't have to be as regimented with how he goes about it. I think if you think about the comparison, and this always frustrated me as a, you know, as a, as a Mets front office member, Think about the comparison between us and the Yankees. You know, the Yankees would sign some bad free agents and simply write them off. Um, you know, whereas with the Mets, Oliver Perez and, you know, Luis Castillo become the biggest busts in the world when they don't add up to as much as Carl Pavano's contract. So sorry if I'm dating myself, but that that's kind of, I, I guess you could say that's my grievance, but that's that's something that that we dealt with as a front office that Sandy is not going to have to deal with anymore. You would assume. I I know you spent your entire time on the baseball side, so maybe what I'm about to ask you is is a little unfair because it's not strictly on the field. But I know that obviously Mets fans, you know, what they want more than anything is a winning team. But do you think there's opportunity also for the new owner to come in and make some kind of uh, you know quick wins? in non-baseball advances like what i'm thinking of is if you remember when the dodgers ownership went bankrupt and then they got new owners what did they do right away they made some improvements to the field they renovated the players room uh they made parking free for the next year i think i already heard him talk about maybe implementing an old timers day game right like are there are there non-baseball things since you have such familiarity with the mets and their Uh, fan base that you could quickly do uh mike the 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 previous ownership uh you know the wilpons did a really, really good job with, with that type of thing. Uh, customer service. Look, I, the, the track record was up and down. I was there the whole time. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of what you would call gaffes. And we know that LOL Mets kind of getting in PR misses, getting in their own way. Um, but from a customer service standpoint, a ballpark ops standpoint, a ballpark experience standpoint, uh, the Mets are first class. So... You know, I, I think that um, Steve Cohen can, you can always improve on that. Uh, you know, like you said, perhaps an old timers day, perhaps there are fan friendly things that the Wilpons just didn't necessarily want to do that, you know, he can go in a different direction. I think, I guess the old timers day is a good example of that. Um, but, you know, City Field is a great place. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite stadiums. I visited, you know, all of them. Uh, there's a Mets Hall of Fame. They're going to do the Seaver statue. The Wilpons did that. So there's a lot of good stuff happening at the ballpark already. Uh, you know, with with the the pocketbooks of Steve Cohen, uh, perhaps he could add to it. I think that that's a legitimate expectation. As far as other types of like things that you think that, you know, maybe um, Mets fans should look for from, you know, an, an Alderson-led, um, you know, sort of front office in like player players yeah. that he generally likes to target into, you know, there's already been like also other t- rumors of like, okay, maybe Francisco Lindor or maybe, you know, like yeah. what are some of the types of players that you think that like you could see the Mets going after and the types of maybe things that would be available, deals that would be available to them, available to them under yeah, Cohen I mean, that were not available under maybe under the Wilpons. Sorry to cut you off there, Matt. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, 
I think anything's on, I, what I guess I'd say is anything's on the table and I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't, I guess I'm, I'm making, perhaps I'm making a leap. I mean, we don't know exactly how Steve Cohen's going to operate, but my assumption would be that, that everything's on the table. I don't think it's smart to sign the top three free agents and spend all that money. Uh, but you would think that that would be possible if you're going to be the East coast Dodgers. So yeah, I mean, I, how a Lindor trade would, would look, I'm not totally sure. There were rumors with the Mets in the offseason. They didn't get very far. Uh, you know, Med Rosario is involved. I don't know how much value he has at this point. Um, for that type of trade, I still believe in Ahmed myself. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, about that. Uh, but I think, yeah, you could be talking Bauer. You could be talking Springer, Real Muto, lots of good free agents. I think... A couple of areas where Sandy can also really improve. And it, it was very public that uh, when Sandy left, that he was not able to get the analytical infrastructure that he wanted. And uh, I think that's going to change immediately. And he'll be able to get pretty much any type of technology that he wants and hire as many analysts as he wants. So for the, for the record, I still fully believe in Med Rosario. I know you're not, you're not alone there. He's going to end up having like four really good years for the Reds or something. That maybe <laughs> I, I hate to say, yeah, it's probably, he's probably a hack as I like to call it, a hack and dash type player, which you don't see too many guys who would have his speed, um, you know, that, that can have the potential to be a power guy. Um, but he's just going to be a, hack, you know, if he can grow into his power, hit 20, 30 homers, steal bases and be a versatile defender. Um, you're looking at a pretty good player, but those on-base instincts are just—they're not developing. One of the uh, one of the other confusing aspects about this offseason is we don't actually have any clarification yet on whether the National League will have a DH next year. And I think having it worked out pretty well for the Mets this year because near the end of the season, you know, Dom Smith started playing more first base, Pete Alonso started playing more DH, and that really helped their defense because Smith is obviously a superior fielder. How would you prepare for that next year, not knowing the answer? And if that ends up the answer is no, how would you kind of sort those guys out? Oof, that's a that's a great question, Mike. And I, I, only going back to what I was saying earlier, the other thing, uh, and I'll absolutely answer, um, you know, uh, your your question. But but uh, just kind of thinking about uh, also being in Cuba and Asia, uh, those are things that the Mets have not done since Omar Minaya was the GM. So Sandy, and that was not saying that was Sandy's choice in, in a sense of trying to cut costs. If you remember when uh, he came on board, it was right after uh, the Madow scandal. And that that was a limitation that really hasn't gone away. So that's one other area that I think uh, the Mets can be a little bit more aggressive signing, signing what you might want to call professional international free agents. Uh, thinking about the DH, that's a tough one. I guess what I'd say, Mike, is to try to get my spies if I'm in the Mets front office in, in to MLB and to the Players Association and try to find out the answer. I mean that that might be <laughs> that might be your best bet in terms of preparation. You know, let's try to get some get that get that information. What are our chances? What are the odds that there's going to be a DH? I think you're going to get a decent idea of it. Uh, and then, you know, then you plan accordingly based on whatever, whatever information you're getting in terms of how likely it is to happen. Uh, yeah, I think they are perfectly set up for a DH, as you noted, Mike. Uh, they, have a, they have a versatile roster, not necessarily good defensively, unfortunately, but, but very versatile where they can move a lot of guys around. And, you know, with the emergence of Andres Jimenez, you would think that you could use 
Cano as a DH for X number of games to free up Jimenez and Rosario. Also, as you noted, Alonzo should spend a lot more time at DH. Uh, it was not sort of, it didn't break through kind of the bubble that he's still a pretty bad defender uh, in his rookie year. He looked better optically. He's better and he's extremely improved from where he was in the minors, but he's still not good. So um, yeah, being able to use Dom, use Alonzo at DH, Cano at DH. You've also got JD Davis who could use some reps. I know he didn't have as good a year this year, but um, if you're the Mets, you're really crossing your fingers that there's a DH in the National League, despite the history. You know, a, a year ago, this, this would have almost been a crazy thing to even ask, but in a world with no DH, is there an argument to be made that, that, that Dom Smith should be playing ahead of Pete Alonso? Wow. Yeah, that's a... It's, it's, I don't... I think you could you could argue it. I don't necessarily agree. I, I think I think uh, you might find a certain amount of data to back it up. Um, you know, based on Pete's poor season uh, and his defense. Well, I wouldn't call it a poor season, but a disappointing season. Um, but in general, I, I'd 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 uh, I'd stick with the power and potential of Alonzo. And we're still talking about pretty small sample sizes with both guys, but particularly Dom. Um, you know, he's had success. I don't think you can say it's a mirage, but I don't think you necessarily want to anoint him either. You know, Adam, one kind of bigger picture question I wanted to ask is I've seen a lot of quotes from general managers and front office types saying, well, I don't know how much we're going to be able to spend because our owner hasn't set our budget yet and we won't until later on in November. And I think a lot of people are taking that as kind of this is what's happened in the, the COVID pandemic year. Uh, but how often is that true? Like, do you usually not know you, what your budget's going to be until a couple weeks after the World Series? That's a good point. No, I mean, not that I've not that I've experienced in talking to other teams. The Mets were a little unique, uh, as has been noted. Um, we did generally have to wait a little bit for our budget, but uh, that that was sort of an anomaly. The other teams generally have an idea. I think there's, I'm sure there's a handful of teams that operate similarly where they don't tell you necessarily the budget till a little bit later, uh, but. I would say that's that's definitely not normal, and that will that should cause potentially even further delays, uh, you know, in the movement of the market. But it also does get back to the possibility that the Mets have an opening to strike on some of the players they want, based on the fact that you know they're coming in with a fresh fresh owner who didn't have to deal with this past disaster of a season. One final question, Adam. You know, one thing I think that that maybe the the Mets often didn't get enough credit for under Alderson was how good their player development was. You know, all the, the these good young hitters they have now are almost all of them were were drafted and developed when 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 Alderson was still there. We're talking about Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonso, Dom Smith. Um, now those guys are kind of coming up to the point where they might get contract extensions or be looking for contract extensions, and under Will, the Wilpons, that kind of seemed like it was unlikely. Do you see that becoming more likely now? And if so, how do you think they would prioritize those guys, noting that I think Conforto's a free agent after next year and the other guys have, you know, maybe two to four more years of uh, club control? Yeah, I think I think uh, that probably Sandy coming on board, I would suggest, well, in combination with, with Steve Cohen, but, you know, uh, Michael Conforto is his guy, and we know that it's just a common pattern of general managers that they like their guys. And it can be to your 
it, you know, it can be positive or negative. Uh, some GMs go to a, they get a new job or, you know, they, they, and they try to grab all the players they used to have that, that kind of thing. Uh, in that vein, I think it's positive for the Mets and people who like Michael Conforto that Sandy's back because he likes Michael Conforto and generally would want to make it a priority to keep him around. Uh, you know, you've got Scott Boris as the agent. So that's a complicating factor. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how that necessarily plays out, but I do think it's a positive with, you know, uh, an owner who, who is likely more willing to spend and a GM who drafted the player. Um, Pete Alonso for me, I personally, (laughs) it, it, it nags at me a little. I mean, look, the guy was awesome and I'm going to sound like a straight sort of front office technocrat here, I guess you'd say, but I really want to get that, that year back from the Mets that they lost by not delaying his free agency. So, and that, so for me, I'm looking at Pete next and maybe you could take advantage of the quote unquote down year uh, to get a little bit of a better deal. But, but you know, whether he's a D if I guess one of the things just sort of pulling it all together for your earlier question, Mike, I think before you sign Pete, you want to see what the DH situation is. I think that's right. Um, I know the Mets, by the way, have not had a very satisfying last couple of years here, but I do want to point out I'm looking at the Fangraphs team ratings right now, and the Mets roster is considered 14th best in baseball. That is without having a catcher, and that is with having one and a half starting pitchers, I guess, depending on how you view Seth Lugo. So they start at kind of a... I don't want to say advantageous place, but it's not as bad as things seem like there is a ton of talent here and sort of just needs a couple more players to push them over the top. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mike Petriello, joined by Matt Myers, Adam Fisher. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.